Crock Elite, a podcast about no effects. Hello, listeners. I can't harmonise, but no, you know, but the thought was there. It was there. That's Red Redmond, who will not harmonise with me. I'm Eddie French, who gave Red very little to harmonise with. And this is Punk Rock Elite. Uh, we've given given it away, haven't we? Early doors of what today's episode is. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this uh, episode. I know. Um, not not to jump the gun, but uh, you, you texted me the other day to say, can't wait for this. I have hot takes, all in capitals. I do have hot takes. Well, uh, you know... What- what I don't want to get for. into it here. This is the intro. How are you, Eddie? I'm good, thank you. Yes, not bad at all. Uh, we are recording this the day before no effects appear in Leeds. Oh, man. I've, you know what? It's just hit me as well. Yeah. It's the last, man, it's the last time we'll see no effects live. It is. Unless, oh, of wow. course, this gets to them and they do a make-a-wish for two thems who aren't even ill. No, they're not going to do that. <laughs> it's, well, we've accepted it's basically the last one. Um, and, you know, that's good. That should be done with joy and, uh, and uh, happiness. I'm sure it will be quite moving. I've seen little clips in their Barcelona things. Uh, Jefe was uh, openly yeah. crying on stage in Barcelona at the end. So, oh, I hadn't seen that. That's really sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. He's uh, very, uh, very, very moved by it all. So, um, who knows? Um, I don't, I don't want them to cry, per se. But you know, if they do, they do. So yeah, that's uh, exciting. Yeah, I spent um, yesterday afternoon. I was helping uh, old bandmate uh, Owen Brindley, who people may have heard of a long time ago from a band called Chromatics um, and uh, more pertinently Colour of Fire who were around in the uh, early noughties because Colour of Fire reformed and they're doing a gig in December and Owen managed to track down his guitar from that era that he'd sold to a fan and that fan had sold on to someone else wow. and got it back. And um, the pickups needed rewiring and all this stuff. So I went around to help him with that. And um, his sister was around and she said that she'd been to Temple Newsom and seen the whole setup. And it's like a, you know, full on festival setup out there. So, oh, wow. I can't wait. You know, cause yeah. we're going for the full day, like a full Absolutely. day of punk rock. We're getting there when the uh, when the car park opens which is the yeah. coolest thing I've ever said. <laughs> I'm going to be there when the car park opens, man. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they're going to go there. We've, um, oh, so, yeah, who we got tomorrow? We've got the Mefs. We've got yeah, the co-defendants. Uh, we've got Comeback Kid, Lagwagon, as you say, Less Than mm-hmm. Jake, and No Effects Themselves. I actually didn't know defend, uh, Descendants were on, so that's, that's exciting. Co-defendants. Oh, co-defendants, not yes. the descendants. No, no, no. I would admittedly be slightly more excited for the descendants. <laughs> um, they have been on a couple of dates, I think, in the US. Uh, yeah, have, I th- so. and I think that aren't they do like oddly doing re- rebellion? It's like them and Teenage Bottle Rocket are like the yeah. American punk bands on rebellion this year. Yeah, and that's 
two two fine choices. Uh, we well, we last night we got our uh, teenage bottle rocket tickets for Leeds at the end of July. Yeah, we did. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for sending um, me that announcement. Yeah, what I've been complaining that uh, yeah. I haven't seen Teenage Bottle Rocket in the UK for years. They don't mm. seem to do their own headline dates. They just appear on festivals or do tour support. I think I saw them support Dropkick Murphys in like, I don't know, 2016 or something. Mm. Um, so it's lovely that they are doing, you know, proper headline shows. Oddly in Leeds, which I thought was strange given that they're doing Slam Dunk. Yeah, but well, for uh, uh, opposite ends of, uh, I mean, you know, they're doing Slam Dunk, what, this weekend, mm-hmm. and that's the end of May, so it's the end of July, it's two months away. Yeah, you're right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Key Club, used to be Temple of Boom mm-hmm. uh, in the Merion Centre, which I haven't been to in a, a little while, because Temple of Boom moved to a new location called Boom now, which is proper cool, but they're probably a little bit big for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So looking forward to it. It's um yeah, I uh, I I hope it's going to be as much fun. The uh, the Raging Nathans. I I heard one song last night on Bandcamp and went, "Yep, mm-hmm. that sounds fine." Um you know, yeah, it was they're good. They're doing support, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, "Yeah, that sounds good." Um happy that that it works. Yep. So uh but yeah, so we're um I don't know why we're talking about that one. We're going literally going to see No Effects tomorrow, which is um so weird i still i've got because i've got a job i've got to do this afternoon i've got to go out and um do one of my uh butch manual labor jobs <laughs> and um yeah and then tomorrow sort out all of uh you know a few things and then jump in the car to say goodbye to no effects which is it's surreal isn't it it is it's really really strange so that's been taking up most of my week to be honest Had a lot of work on which i'm all right with um because uh pardon me because taking a full day off to to go to a, a half day festival almost designed exclusively for me <laughs> you know you can do that how about you what have you been up to aside from um well i have been working uh so we've had a few stand-up shows at the lead mill where i promote events we had uh simon brodkin last night who you may is famous from being like Lee Nelson on the telly a few years ago. He's done like a lot of high profile pranks and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, he, he's a, he's a nice guy. His, his, you know, his crowd are very much the, the Britain's got talent crowd. That's how right. I describe them. Um, you know, well, to I, be honest, if that's going to help keep the lead mill afloat, then uh, <laughs> bring him in, bring him in. Absolutely. Nice sold out show. Good. Um, he was very pleasant. He got, <laughs> He was he was about ten minutes late because he got um, uh, basically got stuck in the car park of his hotel. Oh, <laughs> someone just parked straight across him. Oh, so he was right, about ten minutes late, but it, it was quite funny. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot of the time, I don't know if our, our listeners attend stand-up comedy uh, performances very often, but um, there is a, an old trick that is used by a lot of comedians, which is to describe an incident that happened literally on the way to this gig. Yeah. And um and it and it may not have happened ever. Yeah. It may have happened on the way to one gig, but for some reason people think that immediacy means that it doesn't have to be quite as funny as if it's something you've clearly planned. Um I don't know if I'm revealing too much of the inner workings there. Um <laughs> 
but uh, but if it yeah, actually did happen, then, uh, you know. Sometimes... He sent me photographic evidence. Oh, no, it it I'm, was I'm, real. I'm, I'm not doubting him at all. And if he actually did turn up late rather than just go sat in his dressing room going, go on in 10 minutes so I can do my brilliant was late in the car park bit, you know. <laughs> no one does that. I think we've been uh, we've been putting this off for a little too long. Heavy petting zoo. That's what we're going to be talking about. We are indeed. Let's get stuck in. All right. We'll see you on the other side of the music. Heavy petting zoo. So, had you heard this album before, Red? I had obviously heard a couple bits here and there, mm-hmm. but no, it's not an album that I'd listened to all the way through before. Right, and uh, initial impressions. We'll give it give it the the jizz, which is a bird watching term meaning general impression, size, and shape, which is the way that you uh, go about identifying a bird. So, um, so give us the jizz, Red. Okay, I'm going to identify that bird. Um, I feel like punk rock's Chris Packham. Um, I think so, you just mean Chris Packham. Right. I will I will admit my first listening to this album it was not favorable. I did not enjoy sure. myself. I've given it a few listens since and I've calmed down a little bit. Oh wow. You, <laughs> because my first, you were uncalm. Well, so and people that have listened to our podcast know we're we're actually I think we're quite uh reasonable. I think we're quite fair with our yep. summations of these albums. I think we've really um, given no effects the benefit of the doubt in a lot of places. Possibly more than we should have. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Quite definitely. Giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt there. But there's something about this one where I, I, I've, I've ran out of... <laughs> oh, no. Um, you've, I don't squandered, know, like... you've squandered your benefits already. <laughs> I think I'm just going to get this hot... I'm going to get this... I'm going to get this hot take out the way at the top Look, do it. It may have cooled down by the end. This this is good. You don't want to keep that the heat. I think this is my least favourite NoFX album. Okay. And look, we've listened to them all up until this point. You know, we've Absolutely. listened to Liberal Animation. We've listened to Ribbed. We've listened to S&M Airlines. Yep. And I think I prefer all of those to this. And first, really? let me apologise to our listeners <laughs> who have just bust a blood vessel from... Yeah, because you're slagging their favourite album. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like, I totally, I do understand. If this is your favourite album, I do get it. Yeah, because yeah. I think that there's a lot of, I think there's a big nuance between best album and favourite album. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah. favourite albums can, so look, my favourite album of No Effects is Coaster, and I do not by any means think that is their best album. It sure. just, I listened to it at a time when I was really getting into them, and it was the first major NoFX album that like properly clicked with me. Um, and I would imagine a lot of people have had that exact same experience with Heavy Petting Zoo. I think mm. it was probably released at a time when they were getting into the band or at an age that they are quite nostalgic of. And I do understand that that this may be people's favorite album. Um, but I, I think when you compare it side by side with their other work, I, I don't think it is the, the same standard. Right. But Fair. what do you think? Well, I 
I had heard it a couple of times. I have this on vinyl. I bought it a long time ago. I have the Eating Lamb variant, which is cool. just different because of the cover art. I don't think there's any um, musical differences or anything like that, track listing. So um, I remember I remember this as being a very slow album. Yeah. Even though there's plenty of fast music it starts with hobophobic yeah. like a minute uh, a minute of music that could have been on punk and drublick mm-hmm. stylistically that would have fitted into if you'd have taken out punk guy and put in hobophobic i i don't think that would have been a, a drastic change i think it would have been a bad idea because i like punk guy more than hobophobic but yeah you know they put hobophobic in uh in their little um you know eight songs in six minutes you know stuff like that mm-hmm. so uh, there's all that kind of stuff I've, i have made some notes because the the main thing and this might be my hot take i find this to be quite a forgettable album yeah i think that's i fair. it is not stuck in my bonds at all I, I i've listened to it several times in the past few days like several times a day mm-hmm. and big chunks of it don't stick yeah I agree. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because I've just not committed the time to it as much as I have with So Long or PID or anything like that. But it just doesn't seem to hang in there. But then some songs do. Some songs really stand out. Yeah. And there are some songs on this that I really, really like. It just, as an album, I don't think it sits particularly well it's like a collection of again it's like um we described another uh was it white trash we described as like a sort of a collection of songs that don't really sort of gel Mm. or flow they're just all there yeah but with white trash i think they're a better selection of songs maybe but yes Yeah, yeah yeah because you've got i mean the thing is is that for me actually surprisingly and i don't know why i do this but it's um until the fifth song, there's not a skipper on it for me. Okay, yeah. Um, Hot Dog in a Hallway. <sighs> it's, do you know what I mean? Because yeah, I've spoken about it before. Do you get what I mean now? It's kind of slow and not very... In- also, the guitars are like super heavy on this. My first like take... Proper chuggy, from- super thick from listening to hot dog in a hallway that, that opening riff like mm. that is a stone temple pilots riff yeah <laughs> like <laughs> like it i don't know like a it, it feels so alice in chains almost like it doesn't it, and, yeah. and I, I can't think of something from no effects back catalog that's that's in that vein maybe something off of ribbed maybe you know, uh, like nothing, there's like nothing springs to mind. songs on Rib that almost sound like Kiss songs. Like they start like really. Messy. Oh, there's one. There's one with the. Um, there's one. Uh, it's got that sort of Kiss drum beat. Yeah. Sounds like the beginning of Detroit Rock City or something. Yeah. Um, uh, but to be honest, I found that kind of fun and exciting with with the sort of very slow songs on this. I sort of 
Like, I mean, freedom like a shopping cart is slow, but it sort of builds, and there's uh, and there's something going on in there. It's it's interesting, freedom like a shopping cart. I kind of feel like they've done that song since, but better. Um, yeah, there's yeah. something like quite familiar about that song, but also nothing in it that really stands out. Which I know you've said about a lot of these out, al- a lot of these songs don't really stick in your head, and I, no. I completely agree. I don't think it's got the hooks of previous NoFX work, and I think this is really strange to have off the back of Punk in Droblick, where they just got it so right. It is weird, yeah. I mean, I like Filthy Phil Philanthropist. I, you know, very scary. It's got the trumpet in there. It's got mm-hmm. that little glockenspiel-y thing. Yeah. Like the little blocks and stuff. And so when this album starts off, and it starts off with hobophobic you know thousand miles an hour mm-hmm. and then it starts off and then it carries on with the sort of the scary filthy fill and, and all that stuff and you're like oh, okay so we've got a sort of a fast and catchy album here and then it sort of slows down a bit for freedom like a shopping cart and you go okay well we've got something you know bleeding heart disease i really like the harmonies on that yeah i think um uh i really like bleeding heart disease actually i think that's uh really really good and then bloody hot dog in a hallway <laughs> well so i also want to start with like the, the first track as well i feel like so it really hit me when i was listening to it first time round. you know every single no effects album up to this point has started with such a good track even like animal liberation starts with day to days which yeah, it, you know, is is a great song. And yeah, I find it so weird that we're starting this album with homophobic. I, I just that's I, a I very good point good. that I hadn't uh, I hadn't considered that, but you're you're absolutely correct because they're normally their opening tracks are normally some of not necessarily the but one of the best tracks on the album. And yes, they they start case, strong. It's it's one of the worst in my and, and this one is just a sort of a a, a pun. Yeah, it's all it really is. I mean, I like the ah, uh, I like the the big harmonies on it. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a middle of the album somewhere. That's what you do when you if you put a song like "Eat the Meek" on it or something. That's the one you put straight after it to sort of yeah lift it back up a little. Because Eat the Meek is sort of quite a, a sort of a serious song. It's done in a serious way. It's, you know, yeah. there's no little um, wink at the camera or anything. And so to wash the taste of sincerity out of one's mouth, as no effects I want to do, you put a silly thing about how, oh, well, if someone is hobophobic, they're afraid of the unhoused. <laughs> you know, so you got a funny joke about homeless people. So and then, like, the lyrics are kind of unclear. Where, like, <laughs> are they doing it at face value? I doubt it. Um, it's... But they also don't seem to be, like, making fun of people who are scared of homeless people. It, it's... The, the chorus bit does say, let them be. It does, yeah, yeah. But that's but then like I can't the only tell, line that But I suggests... can't tell what uh, is said after let them be. Let them be horrible it's, and frightening. It, I don't know what they're saying. It's let them be, but not around me. Oh, right, yeah. 
so it like immediately undercuts oh i understand yeah right. uh, yeah i didn't uh didn't catch that i don't know it probably isn't um i can't imagine that people who grew up in the 80s punk scene found the idea of people living on the streets to be particularly offensive uh yeah. also fat mike did write home street home the musical about homeless punks mm-hmm. so i'm guessing it's a character song yeah sure it does feel a little bit vegetarian mumbo jumbo to me for, i don't get that personally but fair okay. enough um that's not the the vibe i get i think he's just running with what if someone was literally hobophobic <laughs> or it could have been someone he met he might have met someone who's like sort of you know was was visibly concerned whenever they were around a homeless person or what walked past them or whatever and he was like oh that's interesting you know and wrote a song from that perspective yeah who knows yeah absolutely uh, and there are you know so the two two songs towards the start of this album that are obviously you know i I would argue are good no effect songs like you've got filthy phil philanthropist and bleeding heart disease that are kind of you know iconic uh no effect songs yeah um but and this is just my personal opinion. They're like two of my, they're two of my least favorite, most favorite no effects songs. As right. In, they're okay. going to appear in your top 20 no effects songs of all time. But like, for me, they're going to appear quite low down in the list. <laughs> right. I don't know if they'd even feature in my top 20 personally, but I do like them. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Um it's strange because like release the hostages i remember the bass intro sounding a bit like um shower days yeah and um from that i've I, it's just vanished from my mind yeah i don't remember release the hostages but maybe that's you know just <laughs> i was in recovery from hot dog in a hallway i mean yeah it it's strange because you know i mean a lot of these songs are quite long for no effects. We're talking over three minutes for a lot of these songs. Mm. And Hot Dog in the Hallway isn't even in the top five longest, but it feels long. I think you make a really good point about how it feels like a slow album. Like there are more mid-tempo songs than we've been getting from no effects at this point in their career. Yeah. Between um, Hot Dog in the Hallway and Love Story. Yeah, those two are very slow. Um, the guitars are very heavy and sort of you know very compressy, chuggy uh, in in a lot of it. And also the vocals are very low in the mix mm. for yeah. a lot of it. So you can't you know for something like Hot Dog in a Hallway where you're supposed to be hearing all of the brilliant fat jokes, um, you, you can't. I don't know whether. Yeah that's an act of last minute cowardice or just how they wanted it to sound. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I just get the overwhelming feeling with this album that, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I kind of feel like they made Punkin' Drublick. It was a huge success. And then they were like trying to almost undermine their own success by like not doing more of the same and not being like, 
right, we found our sound, but almost like retreating back into their like early work, almost to like <laughs> annoy people that do like what they make. I I don't know. I don't believe that NoFX makes anything that they don't like or that oh, okay. Mike doesn't sign off on. I don't think that they would. I think they might they might lean into a thing that they do like that they know will be less appealing mm-hmm. like broad with less broad appeal perhaps but i'm that's pure speculation on my part or or uh, like my other feeling was like is this a point in their career where you know like um I don't know, like, you know, they're not enjoying touring as much or there's just something that they're kind of like lost a little love for because this this doesn't feel as loved as their previous albums. There doesn't seem like there's as much, um, you know, on, on production side, it doesn't feel like uh, there's as much consideration as there have been, particularly with their most recent works to this. I mean, Punk and Drublick is, you know, is fantastic and i i feel like um almost from like white trash they're making like a big step forward in terms of songwriting and arrangements and i feel like this is a bit of a step back from that uh i see what you mean i uh like if this came after ribbed i'd be like oh okay yeah sure i know what you mean it feels like if they went from ribs to this through to punk and Drublick, there'd be a sort of a narrative sense, a through line that was on a sort of a a, a permanent uplift, mm. if you like. Or not, not even a permanent uplift in the sense of quality, but a, a through line of where things go. It's... It is it is a very strange album. Let, let's just uh, pause a little bit just to um, go into some of the details and stuff. This is produced by yep. Ryan Green. Mm-hmm. who produced Punkin' Droblick and, I believe, produced So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes. So it's not even like they switched out producer and, and had anything different going on. So it's it's interesting. It was recorded in October 95. Beg your pardon. Um, and released uh, the 31st of January 1996. Mm-hmm. So it's actually got quite a, f- a slightly faster than usual turnaround. I believe that this is the album that um, Mike said he was writing in the wrong key. He was writing a lot of songs in G and he doesn't sing well in G. Ah, okay, yeah. Um, Because a lot of the vocal performances are kind of, I don't know, a little bit different to usual. Well, this I think maybe that's a part of what is confusing me because now I think about it, yeah, it is like the vocals don't sound as... um, he doesn't sound as present. He doesn't sound as into it. Yeah. There's a lot of... Yeah. yeah love Story and stuff. Um, yeah. I, mean, I know Love Story does go fast at the end, but it feels like it takes forever to get there. It's a very strange um, mm-hmm. thing. There's a few... Uh, okay, so it was released... Um, it got to number 63 in the Billboard 200. Uh, the first NoFX album to chart in the Billboard 200. Oh, wow. Yeah. In Austria, it got to number 20, whereas in Sweden and Finland, it got to number 13. Brilliant. 
So well done, lads. Um, Razor's Edge Studio in San Francisco. Um, and uh, the music has been complimented as melodic, but the album and the album has been favorably compared to Ribbed. But tracks like Hobophobic and Freedom Like a Shopping Cart have been lauded for their witty titles. They've also been criticized for being overly cynical. Um, yeah, uh, August 8th, that track towards the end. Which uh, I, I actually, towards the end of the album, there's a few album tracks that I think are, I mean, they are, you know, like they don't stand out uh, amongst their wider back catalogue. But as far as album tracks go, I think they're okay. I think that August pick 8th up... is okay. I think Drop the World is okay. I think uh, The Black and White is okay. Yes. Um, I like I like those ones as well. Um, let me just look at my thing. Yeah, uh, Drop the World. Drop the World sounds a lot like Dying Degree. Mm, yeah, yeah. I get a lot of Dying Degree. Um, the Black and White's got some like liberal animation vibes on it for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just in the sort of the musical build rather than anything particularly sonically, more in like the arrangement and stuff like that. That you know, like a lot of these, thing. a lot of these songs don't seem to stand on their own legs, as in a lot of these songs sound like other no effect songs that I prefer. It might, we might be skirting around the dreadful um, music criticism turn term derivative mm. is that is that what we're doing maybe it feels like it doesn't it <laughs> and i don't know if i even fully agree with that i just don't know if there's a better term and for also, it i want to be super clear like i am comparing this no effects album to other no effects albums i'm not comparing them to music in general you know yeah, like no. they're still my favorite band and i'd still take listening to this album over a lot of albums by um other artists sure i think just where it sits in their back catalogue for me it's just uh not a a favorable listen yes because uh august 8th is about the death of jerry garcia from Mm -hmm. the grateful dead um and that's why he's happy about it being the 8th of august because that's when jerry garcia died and all the all the hippies crying and at the end he says uh poor jeff Poor Timmy Turtle, um, because they were fans of Grateful Dead, and then it turned out he actually died on the 9th of August. So, um, pretty good. <laughs> uh, she's very funny. Uh, the first half of the Black and White is concerned with a repressed homosexual male living in small town USA. Yeah. So there we go. For I think uh, a lot of people were asking why Mike writes so much about lesbians. Um, and not uh, and not gay men. He's like, well, I I, I did once because the black and <laughs> the black and white is two different stories in the same song about you know getting out of wherever it is, um, which he likes. He's fond of that because uh, Liza and Louise is about that as well, and mm-hmm. you know people who break out of a situation that is bad for them. I, 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 we all love that. We we support their journey. Uh, Liza is on this one as well. Yeah, not a song that sticks in my head, unfortunately. Um, no, um, it's about Liza. Um, she leaves her butch phase and enters her dom phase. The student becomes the master. <laughs> Mistress. 
So, and, and you know, like if there is one thing that I do appreciate of an OFX album, and it is here, is you know, like that sort of, you know, the the storytelling of queer lives. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and you do get that here, obviously, with the black and white with Liza. Um, and that, you know, like that, that's always nice. That's always welcome. Yeah. You don't get that on a bad religion album, unless the queer life in general was also a particle physicist or something. I, um, I remembered something about, uh, bad religion the other Ooh. day. So my, so like, you know, when you first listen to a band, Mm-hmm. Like the first song you listen of that band can sometimes color your perception of that band. Oh yeah. Well, you know how like all bad religion songs sound quite similar. There is a yeah. <laughs> I'm a I'm, well, I'm a I'm a big fan of bad religion, but yes, they definitely you, yeah they definitely have a sound. They have a sound. Sure. Um, not you know uh, I'm not criticizing that. Mm. Uh, but what I think is quite interesting is the first ever bad religion song I heard is the one Bad Religion single that doesn't sound like their other really? stuff. If anything, it sounds quite mainstream and generic. Um, so the first Bad Religion song I ever heard was Broken. Oh, right, yeah. And that's just, I mean, it just sounds like a rock song. Like, that could be the Foo Fighters. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, and if you if you ignore the harmonies, which yes. sound, that, that's the bit that makes you go, is that Bad Religion? Because it's, but, it's yeah. mid-tempo bad yep. religion, which you don't get often. No, um, no, no. Sometimes, sometimes they do. They they always have one or two little sort of more mm-hmm. ploddy, chuggy songs. But yeah. don't, normally, it's you know a lot faster. But yeah, well, because that was that was a single that was on um, that was on like MTV and stuff like that. Yeah, I, th- I think I saw it on like Kerrang. I think. That yeah, was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the first time I ever heard bad religion I, ju- I was just thinking the other day i was like what a strange introduction into bad religion yeah yeah it's weird isn't it because um well i mean even um something like um stranger than fiction which came off their major label album stranger than fiction and it's and it's great and i really like it but it's it's got that sort of motown mod beat that <laughs> and it's like and it's not very fast it's um you know it's, it's a very strange one compared to you know like when they released the title track of true north i'm like oh yeah well that makes sense you know yeah. you hear that and you go well yeah obviously um so yeah but it's but yeah but i think um oh god you know when we deviate and talk about another band loads because we're not really interested in what we're supposed to be talking about <laughs> i think that might have happened um but I was going to say, yeah, it's nice to see the second part of Liza because it'll be two mm-hmm. albums time before we get to hear about Louise. Yeah. Uh, spoilers. She's still up to the same stuff. Um, we should we should talk about the artwork because, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's called Heavy Petting Zoo and it's a guy fingering a sheep on the front. And you know what? I <laughs> I quite like the album artwork. You know, you, you see this album artwork. And you you know it's a no effects album. I know it says no effects on it. It does but say I mean, it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it the you know like uh, I do think that's in keeping with their whole vibe. I, I don't think this album artwork looks out of place amongst the the rest of their catalog. No, the eating lamb variant uh, <laughs> is the 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 sixty nine variant, which is 
if anything, much more explicit. <laughs> um, but you know, like they are, they are funny. They are humorous. Sure. Yep. By uh, an artist called uh, Mark DeSalvo. I'm just looking at uh, his um, his um, uh, website, and he's uh, he's got some prints for sale, including the heavy petting zoo and eating lab. Oh, you can get heavy petting zoo version, three hundred and fifty dollars for a print. Wow! Or eating lamb, hundred. Uh, he's done some artwork for pulley. Uh, Miss Vincent. Um, uh, oh, there's one of Matt Skiba with Warbrain w- written over his eyes, which is m- one of my favourite Alkaline Trio songs, which is cool. There's a postcard set you can get for 25 bucks. Should be all of those ones. Um, it's a rather nice one of uh, Mike. Um, Fat Mike gets strung out, which is uh, Fat Mike running a... Um, looks like he's shooting up heroin but he's running a violin bow over his wrists and there are f holes tattooed on his arm <laughs> i don't know um but yeah so um it's uh it, it looks good he's he's done some really really good stuff oh he did let's talk about feelings uh oh. by lag wagon uh making friends no use for a name uh adolescence so he did the cover of survival of the fattest uh, the flip sides, Teen Idols. Guy, he's done loads. Mad Caddies. Um, right. uh, the one of the the two blokes looking at the comic book or newspaper, whatever one that is. I can't read it for it's this small. Oh, he's done loads. Um, good for him. So, Mark DeSalvo, check out his stuff. If you, if you if you really get a kick out of the heavy petting zoo cover, uh, then do that. But yeah, so um, it's. Uh, let me see here. All music, the rating is three stars. Uh, Spin gave it seven out of ten. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just, hey, look, and I do admit this, I'm listening to this in 2023. Yep. I'm listening to this without the context of 1996. Sure. So, you know, I do think a bit of it's going to get lost in translation. Um Maybe I should have like listened to more stuff that was coming out around this time so that I could kind of put it into a context for myself. Maybe, um, maybe a, a cultural context would help. I mean, it's weird because this, when I first heard No Effects, this would have been the most recent full length release. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know anyone who had a copy of this one. People are punk and joblick, and then we're all very excited when So Long came out, and mm-hmm. I think we all bought that. Um, and it was it was what it was, getting ahead of ourselves. But at the time, I don't really know, because I think, well, like, if you think about it, I guess this must have been roughly around the time of, like, Insomniac. Yeah. Which is a lot darker and a slower sort of vibe all around. So I don't know. I mean, they're not that's two albums from this, roughly this period. So it's hardly a, a, a good litmus test, but it's, um, I, I honestly can't say because I find it quite a confusing album and you can't really get much out of them 
like there was a, a Q&A somewhere that said, why does having petting zoo sound so different to all your other albums? And the answer was because it was recorded in the Soviet Union. I'm like, there wasn't one in 1996. So, you know, it's like, they're just, you know, really, really skirting the question. <laughs> you know, one thing that stands out to me from this, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if other people have had the same uh, takeaway from it, but like, Fat Mike is the only member that stands out for me on this album. I, I can usually, you know, I can hear Melvin. And I can yeah. usually, I mean, particularly on the recent albums, very much hear Hefe's influence. Yeah. And, you know, Sandin's drums are normally, I think, a little bit higher in the mix. Yeah. But, but here, I feel like I'm just getting Mike. And it, it it feels like these songs aren't haven't been written in collaboration, like a lot of his work sometimes is. Um, it, I just feel like I'm, I'm just getting Mike on this album. Yeah. It... Yeah, and a sort of maybe a half-hearted mic. Yeah, I don't know if maybe I mean because they they started recording this in '95, mm-hmm. and so yeah, Punk and Droblet came out in July '94. Mm-hmm. After that, they put out. I heard they suck live in August '95. How effects uh, a bit later. When was that out? Um, June. June. Oh, okay, so yeah. So so they were sort of riding the relative success. And I don't know whether doing a lot of stuff, maybe they were touring a lot, maybe there wasn't, you know, jumping on the sort of let's ride this wave, this 1994 wave. Mm-hmm. Dookie has meant that we're all slightly more in demand. Let's ride this wave a little bit. And maybe just the songwriting time wasn't maybe there. I don't know. Yeah. And that that would make a lot of sense to me. It would. Uh, I wouldn't like to say that was definitive because I simply don't know. But um, yeah. It, it just to me, like it, it feels more like their earlier arrangements when, you know, Mike is the majority of songwriter. Um, whereas, you know, Punk and Droblick feels so collaborative between all of the artists in the band. They're um, all doing their best, the best thing that they do. Yeah. At the best of the ability that they have at that time, all pointing in the same direction. Whereas sort of like, um, like the sort of the clean, like guitar picking in um like hot dog in a hallway mm-hmm. that sounds very sort of thin and dreary and i don't know tonally i think production wise it sort of misses the mark for me quite a lot particularly in the mix i'm like what are you doing to sandin's drums they're barely that you know they some yeah. of the songs they feel very absent the guitars sound super thick and chunky in a way that sort of gets in the way i don't know it's and, you know, and it, it, it's it weird so to weird feel when you, you've established the signature sound in Punk and Drublick. Yeah. Pull back from that. And I wonder, is that got anything to do with, um, I know you said like how uh, there was a propaganda album around here that was, yeah. you know, the definitive fat sound. And I wonder if they're trying to back away from that a little bit here. That's very possible. They might have, uh, 
they might have thought a lot about because I'm sure there was a Lagwagon album, probably a No Use for a Name album yeah. around these times, maybe that would have sounded, would have had that production, would have had that sort of almost clicky kick and all that kind of stuff. There was a period um, where it felt like there was very little bottom end mm-hmm. in that kind of punk. It was a very shrill, it cut through. It probably sounded great on shitty little headphones that skateboarders wear you know whereas um but you know that's you know skateboarding kids in the 90s they weren't going to have expensive shit because they were on skateboards they kept falling off you know you just have the cheapest pair you could afford so you had some tunes while you were skating around and um it was uh it's funny actually i was sorry a little side note talking to owen uh yesterday when we were fixing uh fixing his guitar and he was like, you off to no effects? I'm like, of course, mate. He's like, oh, cool, yeah. No, he's off to see Pulp in Bridlington because uh, Owen <laughs> walks in several worlds. Um, and uh, he was saying, uh, we were just talking about it. He said, yeah, because Owen went to LA with his job um, uh, a couple of times. And he said, uh, like, yeah, Venice Beach is weird, but it's like all the punks walking around. And it's like, they're just like sort of slightly slacker athletes in america they're all like surfers and shit it's like oh i've just been surfing for six hours i'm like what why <laughs> you know it's like you know and so these sort of you know these um skateboarders doing sort of massive tricks and get you know and all this kind of stuff and it's like it's not really like the punks we were when we were younger <laughs> mainly looking for somewhere that people in our village wouldn't see us doing big lungs of dirty resin so uh i'm not saying we're purer but we our lungs certainly hurt anyway they've got the lung <laughs> capacity we don't but um but yeah so I, I it it feels like i'm more down on this album than liberal animation or anything like that but it's sort of i don't know it feels sort of rushed yeah that's a that's a that's a um that is a fair assertion i think mm. Um, also I wonder, because I'm always, um, amazed, you know, like this is no effects really like in, in the midst of their, of their, um, ascension, I suppose. And what I think is quite interesting is like, this is alongside, you know, like the grunge boom, which Mm, I I don't know. Kirk Cobain was dead by this point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But isn't but grunge? I think is still going pretty strong, right? In ninety six, maybe maybe by ninety six. I think it was hanging on in there. I mean, it's certainly there in uh, Hot Dog in a Hallway. <laughs> yeah, it is very very odd. I yeah yeah. It's got the quiet, loud, quiet and dynamic. I, I just wonder whether there is any like you know. Um, pressure for them to sound a bit grungy or to like move away from punk because you know i mean nowadays i do kind of see nirvana as a punk band but there was definitely a time when it was almost argued that this was like brand new music from a genre that had never been heard before well yeah kind of hardcore but yeah they were they liked their punk a bit sort of slower a bit more like you know stooges mc5 kind of thing yeah yeah that kind of stuff and it was like those kind of those kind of bands actually quite slow by modern standards if you listen to never mind the bollocks now 
Mm-hmm. It's like, this is all sort of fairly mid because you can pogo to it. Yeah. You can't pogo to, you know, American hardcore because <laughs> otherwise it turns into an aerobics class. It's like, but you know, like you listen to the Teenage Kicks by the Undertones, which is like the perfect pogoing speed. Yeah. Now it seems sort of meandering. Still great. I, you know, enjoy it and uh, you know uh, nothing like that but you know at the time people were like what is this racket and now it's on <laughs> radio two it's like mm-hmm. come on um so yeah so i guess uh i guess maybe that was it I, I, there's something that i'm i'm quite frustrated talking about this album because i can't quite express what i mean about most of it um, i feel like there is there is some context that is missing. There is something that went on in the recording or songwriting process that they haven't made public. I mean, I certainly haven't been able to find anything online where they have definitively explained why this album doesn't quite sound like like their other work. Um, But I feel like something has happened. And I, I, my best guess would be that they were so busy touring that song they just didn't have as much time for songwriting. Uh, very possibly. I mean, they don't. They play the only song they play off of this that I've seen is "Hobophobic." Mm. Also, when is um? Do you know the period of time when Smelly's on heroin? I do. He the last uh, the last album he recorded on heroin was "White Trash." Oh, okay. He went into rehab the day after recording. Oh, okay, sure. Because they were like, look, you're getting straight after this or you're out of the band. But, you know, we are going to record this album with you to show that we... I think it was an idea of, look, we're going to have you on the album because we want you in the band. But if you can't be (laughs) clean... Mm-hmm. then you can't carry on so basically made the album day after went off to some rehab facility in the desert and um has been sober ever since wow so uh why well you know just obviously we were talking about how sandin's drums sit lower in the mix this time round, mm. and i wondered if there was some like personal um issue behind the scenes that that had led to you know it not sounding as good as I I don't think so because all of the actual musical performances are pretty tight, mm. and uh, he was tight when he was on heroin anyway. But you know, um, there, there was the. It's not really for me. It's not really in the performances so much. Like yeah. what, what everything they're playing, they're playing it absolutely bang on. Yeah, for what it is. It's more the musical choices rather than the music and the arrangement and that kind of thing that yeah, just sort of because at no point have they ever gone back and done anything particularly similar to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. You know, I can't, I can't really think of anything. I can't think of anything. Well, we go, wow, oh, so someone's drinking deeply from the uh, the fountain of heavy petting zoo on this one right i no. wonder if bearing in mind um i haven't listened to single album and double album all the way through in a long time um so i don't know i mean do, have you found any similarities there because i know a lot of people are quite negative about those two albums i think as i recall 
there was an interview I watched where Mike said that all of these songs were very overthought on Heavy really? Petting Zoo. Yeah. Wow. So they sort of, and I don't know if that's because there wasn't as much confidence in the songs themselves. So they got sort of poured over a lot. Mm-hmm. But he said that he gave himself 20 minutes each to write each of the songs on so long presumably without lyrics but you know the the music and melody and stuff coming up with that for so long 20 minutes each i don't know how rigidly he stuck to it but that the idea was to not overthink them was to come up with the thing sounds good okay bang put that down that's a song next um and he said that with single and double album, every song on that was overthought a lot because they had so much time. They were supposed to release it as a double album before lockdown, and then they just didn't. But he had a lot of time, and he had all the people living in his commune uh, that were producing it with him and stuff. Baz the Frenchman and um, uh, forgotten his name, but he was in Old Man Markley. Um, oh, yeah. John Markley. I wish uh, that would have been so easy, but yes, John of uh, Oliver Markley, um, and so I think, um, and I think uh, with stuff like that, they were like he was like using MIDI drums to do like little demos, and then going Smelly play this, and Smelly's like I don't know what what how what you can't play that, and all this kind of stuff. So um, you had a sort of a different approach to songwriting, and it was very overthought, and that might be why people are and that's why i think he's so enthused about single and double album mike speaks about those two records so highly Mm. he's so excited about it because he's become quite focused on songwriting yeah he probably enjoyed the process yeah yeah and and so he's like oh listen to that Do, do you hear that example of songwriting and i sort of feel that if you can hear something as a brilliant example of songwriting first and foremost I don't know if that's a brilliant example of songwriting. Mm. Do you get like I've, I saw someone? I saw someone. I spoke to someone years ago. Who said, um, "Have you seen the new James Bond film?" And obviously, I said no. Um, and he said, uh, "Oh, I mean, I, I, I barely remember the film because I was just enraptured by what a remarkable example of filmmaking it was." I go well in that case, it wasn't a remarkable example of filmmaking, was it? Because you were sat there going, "Oh." Oh, that dissolve. Oh, mwah. it's like, fuck off. You know, it's, it, <laughs> it's, it's sort of, I don't know. There's, there's something I find very, it's like, okay, yeah, anything can be an exercise, but it's like, you know, it's, I mean, Red and I have both done improv because, you know, we're not good people, but you know, there, there are certain games in short form improv where you're like, why is that group doing that in front of an audience? That's a warm-up game for not, yeah. you know. You go, oh, we're gonna get, we're gonna show this to people who've paid money. Like, fuck you. Warm up on your own time and do games that are good. You do know. You know what? I've just. You know what improv is. I, I wish I knew. Improv is the scar of comedy. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but, mate. There's literally a Tumblr post called Scar Group or Improv Group. <laughs> brilliant it's very difficult <laughs> checkerboards give it away sometimes but not always 
A lot of white guys, a lot of them in flip-flops with their arms stretched out with big grins on their faces. And it's like, hmm. These could easily be called um, not likely, but improbable. Uh, or they could have supported Real Big Fish once in their hometown. It's like, it's either or. Because Scar is great when you do it a little bit. Like, I love that NoFX have a couple Scar songs on a record. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same, you know, when comedians do a little bit of improv, we love it. Mm. <laughs> when comedians only do improv, we want our money back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, although sometimes you find people who sort of do it in quite a, a an aggressive, abrasive way, and you go, oh, okay, steady on, like Operation Ivy or Suicide Machines, where you're like, whoa! <laughs> and you go, but they're very rare. When you sort of go, fucking hell, they're actually doing something for, you know, they don't fuck around, they don't mess around with it. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, well, I think we go back to uh, our dear friend Robin Leach, the uh, major key and minor key. Uh, <laughs> yes. I've always endeavoured to be a minor key improviser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start using. uh, Credit where credit's due. Oh. I do think there's a banger on this album. Your hot take is cooling down, Red. I can see it. (laughs) Go on. What's the matter with kids today is a NoFX classic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is a good one. It's it's unfortunately the only NoFX classic on this album. (laughs) um, I quite like whatever Dee Dee wants. I personally don't enjoy that. Whatever Dee Dee wants is a bit of a, a favourite for some people because it was on a Punkarama oh, compilation. Okay. A strange one to donate. But, you know, fine. Um I like the uh I like the way the, the harmonies blend around one another. But if that was the only song on that album that sounded like it, like um, Eat the Meek on uh-huh. So Long, we're like, there's nothing else that sounds like Eat the Meek because that's essentially, it's more of a reggae song than a, a yeah. ska song. It's not that up-tempo, it's, you know, and all that kind of thing. You'd be like, yeah, all right. Um, oh, that's an interesting little thing they threw in there. And you'd go, oh, that's kind of fun. And it breaks it up a bit. But yeah, it's... Um, it's a slow record, even when it's fast. And uh, what's the deal me. with, you know, you come from Punk and Drublick, which has a lot of silly voices on, and now very much a, uh, an album without silly voices, specifically without El Jefe's silly voices, which are the best of the silly voices. <laughs> they are. Um, I, don't, I don't mind uh, a lack of silly voices, uh, particularly. Maybe they thought three on one album we can go without uh, one of them, but yeah, I. Uh, if, if you turn around and told me, "Oh, this is Hefe's first album with the band," I'd probably believe you. You know, like how we've spoke previously on the podcast about how quick El Hefe just fits into the band, and how you know he really shines through. And- oh yeah, yeah. He does amazing yeah. work on those first couple albums with no effects. But yeah. here, it, I can't hear him. I can obviously hear guitars. Yeah. I can hear people playing music well. But I can't hear his distinctive um, influence where I can on their previous two 
albums. I there's a couple of bits of trumpet on this. Yeah, there's his, his trumpet here and there. Work is good. Yep, a little bit here and there. Uh, more than on um, uh, Punk and Droblick, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but there's there's something the yeah the guitar parts sound generic. They sound like they could have been played by anybody. To me, they don't have those. They don't have the personality. I think that's what it might be missing. It might be missing the personality of No Effects because a lot of Mike's vocals sound kind of restrained, and that's yeah. partly because he's singing in the wrong key for himself to get be able to, you know, give it give it some. Yeah, it's really really odd. I the more I try and it's like. It's like digging a hole in the rain. The more I try to excavate what I mean, the more it gets filled in by more stuff. I don't know. It's real. I'm finding it quite hard to talk about. Not emotionally, just intellectually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine talking about it, guys. I can talk about it. It's fine. It almost feels like you know earlier in their career where they have you know um, there are other guitarists who are just a little bit less unique and they 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 stand out less it 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 feels like one of those like this feels like kid wilder could be on this yeah 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 it does it feels like anyone could be on it um yeah it's uh it's interesting because uh right okay i've just had a quick look ahead and i think this is quite telling, right? The next thing they released in August of 96, recorded in April of 96, was the EP Fuck the Kids. Right, yeah. And the first line, it says, all the tracks were recorded in one day over the course of about four hours. (laughs) Fat Mike had written the songs, but none of the other band members knew them. He'd teach the band the song, they'd record it, keeping the first take where they managed to make it through the whole song and move on. (laughs) And on it, you've got uh, Fuck the Kids, I'm Telling Tim, Murder the Government, um, you know, a few absolute Stone Cold classics on here. Yeah. Um, And so we might, we might put out, we might have a look at Fuck the Kids before we do so long not a whole because there's like 13 songs and it takes 10 minutes to listen to we could do fuck the kids and ho effects oh yeah because that was yeah before well that's only two songs as well but then that's 15 tracks there's 15 tracks i guess yeah that's more um, than heavy petting zoo well, yeah, no, that would be a better album than uh, than uh, Heavy Passing Zoo, uh, personally. But um, maybe maybe that'll just be a little a little mini sode, just to bridge before we do so long. Because I'm putting it so long off because there's only so many times I can go love that one, brilliant. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, um, any final thoughts on? Um, on heavy petting zoo you know like i am a little bit disappointed but that's only because 
Uh, I've had such fun listening to every NoFX album up until this point. Um, I know that this album, you know, a lot of people are going to have much more love for this album than myself. And yeah. that makes so much sense because I wasn't uh, listening to NoFX when this album came out. And I think the context of when it was released would help me understand the album a little bit more. Yeah. But it, it, it doesn't stand up to, I think, the quality of their other work and particularly their other most recent work in Punk and Droblick and White Trash, which I think is some of their their better albums. Yeah. I think I think initially the problem I had with this album was the production. I found it difficult to listen to mm-hmm. just for my own sonic tastes. But even when you but you know, I can I can listen to records that are produced badly yeah but the songs are good enough that you can just go that is a great song and i don't find as many great songs once you've unpacked the production on this and i'd love to know more why um i think i've actually seen some of the places they're going they're playing heavy passing zoo yeah but i think more in more so in europe well, Finland and Sweden, if they go there, I imagine it got to number 13. So yeah. uh, I don't think they are going there. But yeah, I think so. I don't I don't know. Maybe they're wanting to give everything. Maybe they're just going, look, this is warts and all. This is part of our 40 years. And it is part of their 40 years. Yeah. You can't just dismiss it because it's there. It, and it's there for a reason. We just don't know what those reasons are. Yeah. Uh, or the, the reasons to us aren't apparent. It's... I don't want to be totally down on this because I think it's interesting if kind of inaccessible, and I don't know if that's the reason, inaccessibility. It seems a step too far to make a whole release. I mean, Epitaph signed off on it. They, They were happy for it to go out. I mean, it's almost like, you know, obviously there was like a boom from Dookie around this point. Are they trying to be like, oh, you know, like, yeah, but we're the real punks. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I don't this know. Is radio play, or we're not trying to go for mainstream, and they've, you know, yeah, tried perhaps. to go a bit more down the alternative route to a fault. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's um, it's a uh, it's a difficult one. I find it. Um, I find it hard to um I find it hard to fully understand so maybe I'll stop trying. Um yeah, but okay, so what are your highlights? Um I obviously, you know, uh, filthy filthy Phil is good. I think bleeding heart disease is good. Uh what's the matter with kids today? Yeah. Um and then I do enjoy a few album tracks towards the end, the black and white August 8th drop the world. Yeah. Um but yeah, like nothing there's there there isn't there's normally a little surprise for me on a NoFX album where there's like an album track that I haven't heard before that like really is really good and I yeah, really, yeah. really enjoy it. And I don't think I get that experience here, um, sadly. Yeah, I think I I I agree, filthy Phil. I like freedom like a shopping cart. I think it builds nicely, which shows I'm not just opposed to the slower ones. Um, Bleeding Heart Disease, great. Black and White, Drop the World. 
um some yeah some top stuff then the yeah hot dog in a hallway and love story just like the antithesis of that they're very dirgy there's something about love story that it, so unfo- so i got love story mixed up and i briefly when the song came up i was like oh great i love this one because i had got it mixed up with falling in love yeah <laughs> Um, which is a brilliant no effects track. Oh yeah, and then yeah. halfway through Love Story, and you're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, but that's just unfortunate, isn't it? That I'm comparing it to one of their better songs. It's weird. There's there's actually a lot of very good harmony work on this album. Yeah, like possibly more than certainly more than Punk and Drublek. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got linoleum and stuff like that, but there's not. Uh, and don't call me white, but there's no harmonies on Laurie Myers. Yeah, uh, there's no harmonies on um, a lot of them. A lot of them, it's just Mike's voice by itself, which I mean, well, some people have a problem with. I don't have a problem with, but you know, they are. Uh, but on this one, they're really leaning on the harmonies. Not much Mel Yell from that I can recall. Virtually none, from what I yeah. can tell. Which is uh, which is a crime, uh, yeah. So it's um, yeah. You know a... what? I'd be really interested, actually. Look, I'm not sat here thinking that you know I know best and that my opinion is the only opinion. I would love to know why people like this. You know what stands out? Um, what what yeah. makes this like one of the better NoFX albums for them? So like, if you do have any like. You know, may, maybe you just want to throw things at me. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, you know, email us. Let us know why it is that this, um, why you have a, a special spot for this album. Because well, I'd love to know. Well, Niall from um, the uh, yes, Midlife yeah, Punk yeah. podcast chose it as his favorite album. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm... And it's weird. It's like I I love the fact that this is someone's favorite NoFX album. Yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that this is a lot of people's favorite. It's bound to be just yeah. numbers game, isn't it? Um, and so that that means that it is transcended music and becomes something because your favorite album is never about the songs on it. It's about your relationship with the songs on it. Let's be and and my you know, my guess honest. And, and, I, and I'm I'm pleased that this is the soundtrack to important stuff for people. Yeah. No. And my my guess would be if this is your favorite album, it's probably because to you it sounds like a more raw, more authentic no effects. You know, it it Maybe. does sound DIY. It does sound like it was recorded in a carriage. Um but it's yes. later in their career so like they are better songwriters than they were on liberal animation. So m- maybe it's that. Um and I get Yeah. That. I mean certainly even with Mike's handicapping himself with the key that he's written a lot of these songs in, still a better vocal performance than the first two, three albums. Yeah, absolutely. So str- far and away. So straight up, he can actually harmonize or he's, you know, he can actually sing well enough for someone to harmonize with him consistently. <laughs> Good. You know, that's, um, that's fine. Maintains the character of his voice. You can, it sounds like him. It sounds like yes. him on a, less than ideal day but it does sound like him so there is something but it's just not it's not quintessential no effects for yeah, me I think that's fair but yeah if you do like it 
punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know because we do want to know. We're not dismissing you if this is your favorite. Absolutely it's just not. definitely not going to be in our top 10 no effects albums. It can it can sit on the shelf with the first three, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the first two. Rib's got some shit on it anyway. Some good shit. Right, well, um, we're just going to go into hiding, so we'll see you in the outro. <laughs> well, there we go. That was... Uh, can't believe what they were saying about it. <laughs> I know. I think they've been really unfair. I think it's one of my favourites. I think it's the only No Effects album. Yeah, well, sometimes I just wake up and I just put Hobophobic on repeat. Yeah. And I just don't listen to another song all day. And that is the day. That is that is that one minute, 60 times an hour. I mean, come on. Is there anything better? No. Um, all right. Well, um, we're just being the most diplomatic of uh, punk rock podcasts, as is our position currently. So, yeah. Um, good. Well, I think uh, I think we've got some uh, – I, I don't know – we're we're so we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves in the schedule again. So I don't know who we've got coming up. Uh, we <laughs> may be about to interview Will Hodgson. We may have interviewed them already. All of these things we just don't know. So um, you got anything coming up? Well, we know what we got coming up tomorrow. But uh, we've got no effects, baby. We've got no effects. Hopefully, last minute change. They'll drop Punk and Droblick and do Heavy Petting Zoo instead. Um, <laughs> But yeah, basically what it means is they'll be currently in a rehearsal space in Leeds, rehearsing right now. As wow, crazy to think that. Isn't that? That's mad. So, um, yep. we uh, It's going to be very strange. So we'll see you and Sully and some other people. The um, There's a couple of people on uh, instagram who've said that they're coming as well so you know if you that, there's no point shouting out for it now well because <laughs> it's long gone now this is long in the past where you'll know how we feel about this by now um so yeah so we've got this and then on sunday we're going to be recording our debrief yeah so uh if you've heard that you'll know how it went fingers crossed it was good or this is going to sound like a really sort of prophetic and unpleasant episode but <laughs> uh, anything else you got coming up red any public appearances people uh, i'm should doing know a gig tomorrow no tonight fuck in your tomorrow well i mean that's in the past now isn't it yeah but, yeah um, yeah. Uh, yeah just a few few little stand-up gigs here and there oh that for greavesy um, yeah yeah for for alistair greaves it was a fantastic comedy promoter based in york burning duck yeah, Burning Duck Comedy Club. Check it out if you are local to the York area. He runs some fantastic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I've um, next thing I've got to look forward to after this is a wedding of a friend of mine from university. So uh, I'm going to let them know if it doesn't match up to one of my absolute favourite bands doing their farewell tour. <laughs> <laughs> an unnecessary com- um uh comparison isn't it anyway um yeah do get in touch with us punk rock elite podcast at gmail.com let us know what you thought about the episodes uh let us know what we can do to cheer up because i don't like being so down on no effects it seems uh unnecessary and unkind but 
The ears want what they want, I suppose. <laughs> and to be fair to us, like this is the first time where we've been a little bit hard on an album. Like we've loved everything so far. Yeah. I mean, I think with liberal animation, if you listen to that back, it does sound a bit like we've taken a drawing from our child and put it on the fridge. <laughs> Did you do this? Really? Oh, it's very good. Well, I know where this is going. Oh, very. We can all see it there. <laughs> but they were, you know, they were 10 years younger when they recorded that. So, yeah, absolutely. You know. um, and, uh, but as, um, but as uh, Tom from the uh, Midlife Punk podcast pointed out, he goes, that could have been it for them. Imagine if they'd only released liberal animation, would we be talking about them? And there's a very good chance. No. Really good point. So, you know, it's, I'm, if they genuinely wanted to make that album, I'm glad they did. Because I'm always glad when someone makes the thing they genuinely want to make. Yeah. Fuck my diplomacy. Anyway, um, <laughs> thanks so much, Red. No problem. Glad, Thank you, Eddie. I'm glad you were here. I didn't want to do this alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a support group. Oh, it's uh, we've already established that's what this is. <laughs> this <laughs> podcast is a support group, and we'll need it after tomorrow. So, um, yeah. All right, then. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Punk Rock Elite. It was a Pick Scrapes and Fruitcake co-production by Eddie French and Red Redmond. If you're not following us on Instagram or subscribe to the podcast, please do. The main theme and production was done by Eddie French. Please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you.